Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, U.S. cellular customers. I've got good news, so don't hit skip forward just yet. I'm talking about their special customer event, Us Days. What's Us Days? It means exclusive offers just for their customers, just to say thanks, like up to $1,200 to upgrade to any new phone. No, I didn't misread that. That's up to $1,200 off. They must really like you all. Us Days at U.S. Cellular. Exclusive offers just for you, just to say thanks. Right now, U.S. Cellular customers could get up to $1,200 to upgrade to any new phone. Visit uscellular.com for terms and restrictions. How's it going, everyone? It's time for another edition of Strictly Business with Eric Bischoff, presented to you exclusively by the Podcast Heat Network and adfreeshows.com. I, of course, am John Alba, joined as I am every single week here on Strictly Business with the man of the hour himself, Mr. Eric Bischoff. Eric, we are a day late on this, but I think with the amount of efforts that we've put in with the previous few episodes, I think we earned a, a, a little bit of a mulligan on this one. Wouldn't you agree with that? Well, of course, but not only that, we've got a really special guest that I'm really excited about, and we're going to try to keep this show to under an hour today, and I'm just going to get right into it. Let's do it. Brian Bedal first met Brian and his partner, Steve Greenberg, back when Fusion Media Ventures, the company, was attempting to acquire WCW from Turner Broadcasting, and what an amazing experience that was, and I, you know, I couldn't wait to get Brian on Strictly Business because I can't think of anybody better that I know that I could call to talk about what's going on in the world of media today. Brian created and his partner created the Classic Sports Network, um, uh, Classic, uh, Classic Sports TV, sold them to ESPN, CBS, and went on to do an, any number of things in the media space. So without any further delay, Brian, how in the heck are you? I'm doing great. It's great to see you, Eric. It's been a long time. It's been too long. I, I mentioned right before we went on the air here or on the stream that I actually had to get out a calculator to figure out how long it's been. I couldn't do the math well, you, in my head. So. <laughs> you haven't changed a bit. Well, you think, you'd be surprised. <laughs> well, Brian, with, with your background, um, you know, I, I, I kind of gave everybody a brief review of it, but I just touched on it. Um, you got Classic Sports Network. When... When did you and your partner, Steve, wake up one day and go, hey, you know what? If we went out and got a bunch of sports content that nobody's doing anything with, we could create our television network. How did that happen? You know, I was I had worked at MTV and then went over and was working and programming at Nickelodeon and was assigned to be part of the team that was figuring out um, what to do when Nickelodeon uh, went 24 hours. And so that became Nick at night. And, uh, you know, as we were building Nick at night, you know, MTV was famous for having its environmental experience. It was sort of the first TV network that was a place, not just a bunch of, of shows. And we tried to do the same thing with, with Nickelodeon, with Nick at night. And as we were building Nick at night, we said, let's you know, go and, and have some old commercials and old interviews. And I kept uh, pitching the idea of having old 
uh, sporting events on Nick at Night too, and the powers that be said, I like the old commercials, I like the old uh, interviews, but who wants to watch used sports? <laughs> and 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 so you know, I, I realized that that was never so. Nick at Night went go got going. I went and I worked for a couple of years, and it you know kept thinking as as Nick at Night became successful, I kept thinking about. You know, there there should be, you know, a Nick at Night of Sports. And I was actually on an airplane. I was working uh, on, on the management team of Six Flags at the time, going out to visit Magic Mountain in L.A. And the old uh, uh, Olympic documentary, 16 Days of Glory, was showing on the plane. And I don't know if you remember it. But, sure. uh, you know, it was, I think, Bud Greenspan was a producer. You know, bald guy used to put his... You know, glasses up on his forehead when he was on the the, the Tonight Show. You're right there, you guys are good, and uh, and and you know, as the as the film ended, I looked around the cabin and there wasn't a dry eye in 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 the airplane. Everybody had tears streaming down their face, my myself included. You and I just said to myself, I said, this used this used sports thing isn't so bad, and <laughs> you know, so so really the genesis was a naked night of sports. And what about the process? Like when, when, when you guys decided, okay, we're going to go out and license this footage that nobody thought had any value. How did you, like, where does that begin? How do you, how do you go about that? Well, you know, a lot, a lot of, I, I went in a lot of circles and through, you know, knocked on a, a lot of doors that wouldn't open. Um, I, I think I, you know, had deluded myself into thinking that it would be sort of easy when, we actually uh, at Six Flags, we staged something I, I, I think called the Sports Illustrated Sports Festival, where we licensed a whole bunch of old sports rights from the major leagues. And I think you know, in my head, that I was almost piloting classic sports. And I built some relationships at the leagues and thought, you know, I can just go back to the same people and rent video and license a whole library. <laughs> and it turned out it wasn't so easy. And, you know, the breakthrough for me was I was looking for a sports rights attorney and uh, a mutual friend introduced me to Steve Greenberg, who, um, you know, I wasn't one to do a lot of research. I didn't know at the time that his dad was Hank Greenberg and he was the deputy commissioner of baseball. I thought he was an attorney, took him to lunch. He basically said, you know, how can I help you? I said, I'm looking for a sports rights attorney. He said, I'm a reformed attorney. I'm not an attorney. But you know, we'll, we'll go Dutch and tell me what you want. And, uh, by the end of that lunch, I, I, he was answering, he was, he was, you know, finished. We were finishing each other's sentences. I realized how much more he knew about what we needed to do than I knew. And I was the one who put it together. And I went home and said to my wife, you know, I, I had lunch today with this guy who would be the perfect partner. And she said, I didn't know that you were looking for a partner. And I, didn't, I said, I didn't know how badly I needed a partner. And, uh, <laughs> That's awesome. You know, and, and he was, he, he had all the, the, you know, because of his stature and his, you know, uh, relationships in, in the, with the sports leagues. And he was in the process of leaving, leaving major league baseball. Um, the strike was starting and he was going to go run the Mets. I convinced him to work with me for a couple of months until the strike was over. And by then he was hooked. So, you know, I got very lucky. Brian, what I, what I recognize here is you saw that there was a desire for nostalgia content 
And I feel like that's something that is very hot in today's television climate. Nostalgia is a huge thing. It's a huge element of professional wrestling, which, you know, our show is ultimately based around. Why did you figure that nostalgia would be something that uh, there would be serious suitors for or that there would be an audience for? Well, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a great question. I, I, I would say that, um, you know, at the heart of it was that experience on the airplane. And just looking at the emotional impact it had in sports at the time, you know, other than, you know, an occasional clip or a rain delay that, that would have an old game or an NFL film that was on Sunday morning. Um, the only way you could really get your fill of that goosebump inducing nostalgia was at a Hall of Fame. And I, I grew up in Cleveland and used to go to the Pro Football Hall of Fame. And, yeah, I just I, I loved it. And, you know, when, and, you know, so from the, the emotional aspect, it was all about storytelling and sports at the time was about the live game. And, and, you know, you didn't have to look far to see the success of, you know, things like Turner classic movies and American movie classics and Nick at night. And so, you know, I just, you know, said to myself that, you know, the, the two key drivers on the business side of the growth of cable at the time were movies and sports. If there were all of these nostalgic movie channels, why shouldn't there be, you know, what we then positioned as a hall of fame in your living room. And it was really about just capturing those, those goosebump moments. Man, that's fascinating. And after <clears throat> a period of time, you launch your own classic sports network, correct? You launch your own channel. We launched our own channel, uh, you know, we, we thought it would be easy and like everything else, you know, I, I, I think, you know, when I said to my wife that I was going to do it, um, you know, we, we didn't have a lot of money in the bank at the time. We had a new baby and, you know, I think I, I, you know, said, if it's not, you know, we're not on the air in six months, uh, I'll go get a, a, a real job. And I think I, I got six month renewals for about two and a half years. And, uh, you know, but, but ultimately, you know, it really, it was, it was funny because our customer was a cable operator. If you think about it, our customer wasn't the consumer. It wasn't the, the sports fan. It was a cable operator. The cable operator was a gatekeeper that would then take it to the consumer. So it wasn't about ratings. It was about convincing the cable operators that um, this was a network that would appeal within the context of their lineup. And, you know, I wouldn't say it was an easy sell because, you know, they weren't looking for more channels and, you know, they again sort of looked at it as who wants to see a game that you already know the score of, but we had a, a really great sales video and we would show it to the cable operators and they'd get goosebumps. And, you know, they, they, the, the response was often, well, I'd watch it all the time, but, I don't know if my customers were would. <laughs> we had to say, well, you are your customer. And if you would watch it all the time, maybe your customers would too. And and and, and from the business side, it was really, you know, I, I, I hate to say it, but, you know, what we were selling was cheap sports. You know, at the time, ESPN was probably 75 cents or a dollar a subscriber. And I think we started at a, a nickel or 10 cents. So, you know, our pitch was, you know, how could you say no to Muhammad Ali and Joe Namath and, 
you know, all of the great legends of Ted Williams, all of the great legends of sports for 10% of what you're paying for, for the other stuff. And so it was really, you know, in many ways, it was um, filling out their lineup in a cost-effective way and something that, um, you know, we were able to leverage very well promotionally because we could get, you know, these legends to show up for autograph signings and um, other promotional appearances. So it was really, in many ways, a marketing vehicle for the cable operators um, as much as, if not more than thinking it was going to get ratings. That's so brilliant. And and we could talk about an hour at least about the transition from <clears throat> classic sports to ESPN and then <clears throat> similarly CBS. But I really do want to shift gears here, kind of dig into a little bit from your perspective and your experience, what's going on with WWE. Have you had a chance to follow what's going on very closely? You know, I would say as a student of media and as student of business, I've followed it. And, uh, you know, uh, as, as your listeners probably know, you and I tried to buy WCW, you know, many years ago. So, you know, I, I grew up as, uh, you know, Bruno Sammartino is, is a huge fan of, of wrestling when I was a kid. And when you approached me about WCW, um, you know, as crazy as it seemed, I, I just you know, was so excited about it. And so I think, you know, it's one of those things that while I don't actively follow, uh, you know, haven't been following WWE over the last, you know, five or 10 years, I certainly have been aware of the ups and downs of the business, um, the, the growth of UFC and MMA and, you know, what's, I would say, broadly going on with, with the, you know, the, the situation right now. But there would have to be some kind of a deal between us and Jimmy's Seafoods because there is no better seafood in the world than Jimmy's famous, I mean, effing famous seafood. And the beauty is you can go to jimmysfamousseafood.com, put in your order, and on any order over $125, excluding steamed crabs and fresh items, you can get free two-day nationwide shipping by using the promo code WrestleBiz. And what am I talking about? This is the best stuff in the world. Maryland crab cakes, soups, chowders, oysters, signature steaks, desserts, gluten-free items. If you want to pick and choose, you can do that. If you want to pick their packages, well, they've got some fantastic ones, uh, including four of the world's best colossal Maryland crab cakes, two different crab soups, crab dip, seafood seasoning and their signature bay sauce or even the tailgate bundle the nfl playoffs the postseason getting underway eric two pounds of wings full rack of ribs pint of crab dip crab cake mix you can create your own package i know you got that rec tech there maybe fire it up get those ribs on there not too shabby right good 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 package deal there good package deal and i'll tell you what if you want to be hit man in your neighborhood not be a hit man like in a mafia hit man but i mean if you want to be a hit man in your neighborhood and yeah, order yourself a bunch of Jimmy's famous seafood, have some neighbors over, throw that stuff on a table and people will be, people will be writing stories about you in the local newspaper. Jimmy's famous seafood.com. Use that promo code WrestleBiz Again, you get free two day nationwide shipping on orders over $125 or more. 
I've had family members take advantage of this deal. It was absolutely fantastic. I even got to get in on some of the fun, which always benefits me in a good way. So WrestleBiz, W-R-E-S-T-L-E-B-I-Z. Just plug that code in at jimmysfamousseafood.com and take care of yourself. Eat good. I promise you, it will be worth your time. And we thank Jimmy's Famous Seafood for sponsoring Strictly Business every single week. So as someone who's as you just mentioned, you're in tune with the general media landscape as far as those types of entities are concerned. What do you think is the appeal for a potential buyer or a potential media rights partner with a company like WWE? Well, you know, I I would say that it's related to the explosion and the value of sports rights globally. And, And that is with all of the fragmentation and all of the choice on streaming and the, the you know, elimination of gatekeepers in many ways um, and just the ubiquity of choice that, that WWE and, you know, sports in general are sort of, you know, the, the last battleground and, and the last way that traditional media, even, even emerging media companies um, are guaranteed of of growing of of delivering a big audience at a single time you know netflix may deliver uh, you know enormous audiences but it's not everyone watching at the same time like you have with with live sports so it's really you know the 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 last of of water cooler style programming Hey guys, Double J, Jeff Jarrett. Need to call a timeout real quick here. I wanted to tell your listeners what I've been telling my world listeners for a while now. It's about all the incredible things happening over on adfreeshows.com. We're joined by Wrestling Royalty as David Crockett takes us month by month through Jim Crockett Promotions booking logs. David and Conrad dive into the towns, matches, and money of JCP in January 1985 on The Book. Uh, Charlotte is really the home of Jim Crockett promotions. Is it not? It is. Yes. It's the home. The thing is the Greensboro was always the home of Starcade. Any, yes. you know, that the, the bigger matches we would take to Greensboro. Main reason is over the whole area, we had more population and road systems going to Greensboro than we did Charlotte. We look back on the Turner years with the men who lived them. For the first time ever, JR, Eric, and Tony sit down with a couple of drinks and share stories like you've never heard before on the Ad Free Show's exclusive After Hours. Well, in 1905, I had a regular size growing up refrigerator. I was a grown-up man. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I had a washer and a dryer. Shazam! <laughs> and they were, they were moved from by Turner from uh, Texas to Atlanta. They told me we're gonna put them in storage while you stay at such and such hotel downtown. Chat one-on-one with the Podfather, an extension of the popular Ask Conrad mailbag series. Conrad talks live with ad-free shows members, answering their questions about wrestling, mortgages, and everything in between. I appreciate you saying that. I feel the same way. You know, I've I've met a lot of great people through here and um, you know, we all have something in common. And, and that's our love of wrestling and our inability to just, um, let it go. You know, we, we all have this insatiable thirst and quest for more, and we want to learn more and be more involved. And, 
I think it's cool that we all really, for lack of a better word, share a passion like that. And as a result, man, we can have a lot of fun together. Hey, that's just a small taste of what Ad-Free Shows has waiting for you, including a brand new perk, getting to join in on the live recordings of the shows with four levels to choose from. See for yourself why Ad-Free Shows is the best value in wrestling today. Sign up now at adfreeshows.com. That's right. Sign up today at adfreeshows.com. Brian, when you were looking closely at WCW and the wrestling business in general as it relates to advertisers, did you come across the kind of um, natural hesitation for advertising agencies when it comes to wrestling? Because while it's live and it brings all those benefits to it, it's kind of a weird category unto itself. You know, it's not a sitcom, but it kind of is. It's not sports, but it kind of is. It's not drama, but it kind of is. And that kind of is category is sometimes difficult for advertisers. Did you experience that? Um, 20 years ago, absolutely. You know, I, I think that that advertisers have, you know, maybe out of need become more liberal in the way they look at programming. I think mm-hmm. that at first they couldn't get comfortable with MMA. And I think you see a lot of advertisers now who realize that um, they need to be comfortable with what their audience is comfortable with. Um, and, you know, listen, in, in the, the, you know, what I would describe as, as the tribal and politically um, volatile world that we live in today, something like wrestling is the least of advertisers' problems. Um, yeah. So, you know, I, I think it's, it's, you know, when, when you look at the environment, it's so different and, and so, um, you know, um, uh, just, just, you know, full of, of, of real conflict, not scripted conflict, that, that you know, something like, like you know, WWE, in my opinion, is much easier to digest for a sponsor today than it would than it than it was 20 years ago. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. A lot of us wish we had more time, but time for what? If time was unlimited, how would you use it? The best way to squeeze that special thing into your schedule is to know what's important to you and make it a priority. Therapy can help you find out what matters to you so you can do more of it. It's helpful for learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. It empowers you to be the best version of yourself. And it isn't just for those who've experienced major trauma. Therapy can help everyone be the best they can be. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire and get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash 10Wrestling today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash 10Wrestling. Just Capital is a nonprofit that tracks which companies are a force for good. Companies like Bank of America, which just earned the Just Capital seal. Bank of America is ranked number one for ongoing commitment to their workers with initiatives like Sharing Success, which awarded 97% of their teammates additional compensation, nearly all in stock. This is the program's seventh consecutive year, awarding more than $4.8 billion in total. Visit JustCapital.com to learn how a just business is a better business. Furnished by Just Capital. 
All right, so let's let's get and this is what our listeners, including me, by the way, are, are really fascinated in right now, is we know that um, WWE is for sale. Assuming somebody comes along, I hope uh, I, I was hoping you were having beyond to say, should we buy it? You know, I, I almost as a joke about two weeks ago when that news first. I, I kid you not, Brian. I almost sent you a text, but I was afraid. You know, because you lose humor in a text, right? <laughs> I was get, expecting one. Brian's going to get this text, and he's going to think I'm serious. And I, eh, I don't want him to think I'm I was, I was expecting you to write and say, maybe they'll spin off WCW. There you go. I've had a couple of people reach out and ask if that's possible. <laughs> <laughs> but in, 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 the, in the process, how does one become a qualified bidder for a public company? What does that process look like? It's not like buying a car at a Barrett-Jackson auto auction. You know, it's it's having very deep pockets yourself and access to capital. And, you know, I think I think that, you know, one of the smart things they did was, was hire Rain, the investment bank, who is as qualified as they get at a process like this. And, you know, so you, you hire the right you know, seller's agent, it's like, you know, selling your home, you need to, to hire the right agent or else you aren't going to get the people walking in the door. Um, you, you know, so so Rain is is the right seller's agent and they have relationships with, I would say, you know, if not every single one of the most likely buyers, you know, 99 out of 100 of them. How does Rain work with JP Morgan? Um, you, you know, I, I can't tell you because I don't know the, the details of and, 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 and by the way, you may know something that I don't because I read that, that, that WWE had hired Rain to represent them. And are, are you saying that, that J.P. Morgan, because I, I don't know what J.P. Morgan's role is in the deal, is, is, is there different information that J.P. Morgan is, is representing WWE? And John, correct me if I'm wrong here, but I think the initial press release identified uh, WWE as being represented yeah. by J.P. Yeah, Morgan. It's, it's, as you can see there, producer Steve pulled it up. Uh, it's advisory during the course of the sale. Um, see if you can pull up anything about Rain, R-A-I-N-E, because, you know, within the last few days, I, I remember seeing something that said that, that the WWE had, had brought in Rain. Does he see anything on that? Yeah, I, we read that one as well. And perhaps they're consulting together. Right? Well, well, right. You know, and, and perhaps, you know, when you've got a sale um, this size, so here's here's rain, um, you know, when you've got a, you know, five to $10 billion transaction, you have multiple people working on it. I would say that, that, you know, again, not knowing the roles of the individual firms in in the deal, you know, I think that that Rain has great experience at selling deals like this and access to capital. Obviously, you know, J.P. Morgan does too. Um, it may be that J.P. Morgan is advising the board. You know, there's there's a um, you know bit of a dance that goes on between you know, especially in a complicated situation like this between um, the deal that 
Vince wants might want to do and the mm -hmm. deal that the quote unquote shareholders want to do because he's got this super majority vote that gives him more control and to avoid shareholder lawsuits. My guess is, is that there will be a firm that brings in the buyer and then there will be a, an independent analysis of the value of the bid. Okay. That makes that's, a lot of sense. Yeah, that's fast. That okay. So it, it is almost like an intermediary, uh, in that sense. That that does. And, and 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 again, I I don't know in this sure. particular case, um, you, you know, who who's doing what, but in a in a deal like this, um, you know, they're already you know we've already heard about. I think it was the Detroit teachers that have said that they were the Detroit teachers pension fund that said that they were going to sue. You know, I think that that. You know, a, a deal like this gets, you know, particularly complicated mm -hmm. when you've got an active um, chairman and CEO who is a supermajority, um, has supermajority vote, but minority ownership. One of the questions that I've been dying to ask someone like you is, how unique is it? We're talking about the supermajority voting shares. How unique is it for someone to be able to initiate, you know, take the company public, do an IPO, and then when you look under the hood, if you're an institutional investor, for example, how unique is it that you can have a, a, a shares, B shares, B shares being the, the voting shares, and you've got one guy that has the majority, there's a supermajority shareholder. Is that unusual or not? You know, I would say that it isn't um, unique. It's it's not um, particularly common, but it's not uncommon. And especially in a situation where you've got a um, chairman and CEO who is so identifiable with a firm, often it's you know, it happens in the case of a founder. So for example, Mark Zuckerberg with Facebook, you know, has super majority vote on, on what's now called Meta. Um, Warren Buffett has a super majority vote on Berkshire Hathaway, you know? So I, I think that it's, it's, it's not, you know, absolutely unheard of to have a um, well-known, uh, chairman who's very identified with the business, um, be able to negotiate or, or convince investors that he or she should have a, a supermajority. And what's been so fascinating about this process too, Brian, is that you know, Vince, in order to acquire the position of executive chair, once again, he's changed the bylaws multiple times that allowed him to take over that spot. And I, I just want to because you probably aren't necessarily familiar with the inner workings of this. So Vince is actually no longer the CEO as things stand. Nick Khan is no. in fact the CEO. Oh, okay. And Nick is the, I mean, Vince is the chairman. And Vince is the executive okay. chair. So, okay. And, and that's interesting too, because I I've been waiting since I heard you were going to join us to ask you about Nick Khan, because Nick Khan is this just a prolific figure in the sports media world, especially and he's going to be an integral part of not just a potential sale, but also media rights negotiation. 
What kind of perspective from inside the industry, from your perspective, can you offer about Nick Khan and what role he could play in a situation like this? Well, you know, listen, I think he's done a, a great job with the asset. I think he's well-respected. I think that he's viewed as a, you know, very smart business person. So, you know, I think that, that uh, you know, a, a, you, you've got the controversial um, background, especially, you know, I would say, you know, in, in recent history with Vince. I mean, you know, this is, this is a very interesting and complicated deal. And, you know, when I think that, that um, you know, you're going to see lots of rumors, lots of, of ups and downs and, and lots of leaks along the way as to what's happening that, that may be true or may be Mr. X. I mean, remember these, these, you know, this, this company is, is better at scripting entertainment than any other, you know, than anybody maybe but Disney. And maybe they're in, in, in this area, they're better. Um, so I wouldn't be surprised to see the sale process um, have some twists and turns of the script um, in the same way. Fascinating. And Brian, you mentioned a few moments ago the complexity of a deal like this. I know every situation is different, but just like from 33,000 feet looking down, what would you estimate the timeline would be from someone like you to come in and put in a bid until you actually close the sale? What, what's a typical due diligence look like? Well, there are multiple pieces because it's, it's not just due diligence. There also are, um, antitrust approval, governmental approvals. I mean, there are when you're a public company, really in any transaction, um, you have to get a, a series of, of approvals, um, some that, that happen quickly and almost automatically, some that take time. But you know, a deal like this um, needs to be disclosed. Um, you're a public company, so you're really in service to the shareholders. And um, you know, th this is, you know, months, not days or weeks. Now, it doesn't mean that, that something doesn't get announced quickly, but, um, you know, it's, it's, you know, a couple to many months until closing. And, you know, this is going to be probably when you consider just sort of the, <laughs> I remember when we looked at, at just WCW, you know, you've got so many contracts and you've got so many media rights deals and so forth that, you know, there will be teams of people working on this, but, you know, this isn't a, a simple deal to get closed in a couple of days. Hey, real quick. want to give a shout out to James up in Stoneville, North Carolina. He's a friend of the show. Hell, he's a friend of the family. Now we were able to go ahead and help his family recently save more than $1,200 a month. Really think about this. My man, Robbie didn't save $1,200 one time. He's going to save it each and every month, all because he went to save with Conrad.com. He left us a five-star review earlier this week. And he said this from the first phone call with Christian, all the hard work Diane put in Jennifer taking time to explain things and help me understand where we were at with the deal right up to Steve, helping me get this survey through 
nothing but professionalism all around. Dealing with First Family has helped us to the point we've cut $1,200 a month off our bills. I can't say enough about the team Conrad has assembled. I highly recommend First Family to anyone looking to purchase or refinance their home. Thanks to Conrad and the entire First Family team. No, thank you, James, for the great review. And congratulations on saving $1,200 a month. And oh, by the way, you can skip your next two house payments. It's real, folks. Savewithconrad.com can help you. We're licensed in more than 40 states. But if you've got credit card debt, if you're looking to save money on your monthly payments, if you're looking to pay your house off faster, or even buy a house with no money down, savewithconrad.com is your hookup. Holler if you hear me. That's savewithconrad.com. NMLS number 65084, equal housing lender. And oh, by the way, you don't need perfect credit. You don't need money out of your pocket. What are you waiting for? Find out how much money you can save for free at savewithconrad.com. What if, and this has been my bet. Now, I don't have any inside information. I don't hold a nickel's worth of WWE stock. This is just entertainment for me. I'm fascinated by it, actually. Obsessed with it, probably. (laughs) (laughs) Just a little bit. But my bet has been that Vince is going to take it private. Would that process be a faster process? Well, you still need to have the shareholders approve a price. So even if it goes private, um, you, you still have to go through the process of um, this independent analysis, uh, you know, effectively a fairness analysis that, um, you know, it's not just a good deal for Vince, but it's a good deal for the shareholders. And, you know, and that's where it gets really complicated with Vince holding the, the supermajority or the supermajority vote is that um, what might be good for him uh, might not be the best deal for the rest of the shareholders. So, you know, so, I, you know, it may be a little bit quicker, but not much quicker. Interesting. So, Brian, when you factor in, and this kind of relates to what you were talking about with the classic stuff, too, that was all content-based. You were trying to market nostalgic content uh, in the sports setting. When you throw in the fact that WWE goes far beyond content and there's intellectual properties, there's characters, how much value does that add for a prospective bidder or someone negotiating a media rights deal? You know, I... I think that it adds a lot, you know, I think that, you know, the nature of a bidder for a property like this is, you know, especially when you're paying, you know, they're going to end up paying 20, 30% above today's stock price. Um, I would imagine just, you know, that's the kind of premium a business like this would, would demand. And, and, and so, you know, I, I think that, that bidders are sitting around um, not saying how can we conduct business as usual, but rather um, how can we grow this business and what can we do with it that hasn't been done? And so they're looking at the intellectual property. They're looking probably at, you know, what characters can we make movies out of? What characters can we make different kinds of, of TV shows out of or, you know, conversations like that? Um, which is not, we're going to do this business as usual. It's if we're going to pay this much money, how do we squeeze more value out of it? And, you know, that, that's why, 
you know, and I, I, you know, don't, you know, doubt what you're saying, Eric, about Vince trying to put together a private deal to, to take it private, but as a public company, you know, they're required to evaluate or consider all bids or all legitimate bids. And if there is, you know, a media company somewhere in the world that is going to bid, you know, 10% higher than what Vince is going to bid to take it private, um, it's hard for him not to match that price. So, you know, it will be interesting to see what happens, you know, if that happens when the price is announced, if other bidders basically, you know, try to, to um, outbid him. Hey, U.S. Cellular customers, I've got good news, so don't hit skip forward just yet. I'm talking about their special customer event, Us Days. What's Us Days? It means exclusive offers just for their customers, just to say thanks, like up to $1,200 to upgrade to any new phone. No, I didn't misread that. That's up to $1,200 off. They must really like y'all. Us Days at U.S. Cellular. Exclusive offers just for you, just to say thanks. Right now, U.S. Cellular customers could get up to $1,200 to upgrade to any new phone. Visit uscellular.com for terms and restrictions. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. One of the things that I learned last week as I dug deep into the rabbit hole I've been in for a week, I was curious about who sets the terms and conditions of an acquisition. And I would have to assume based on Vince's position and controlling stock and so forth, that it's really up to him and the board to set the terms and conditions. Wouldn't the terms and conditions also affect what that stock is worth or, or what a potential deal is worth? In other words, if he, if Vince, let's say his, what we know of his personality is that he likes to be in control. It's kind of what got him to the dance, right? Can't be critical of it. Um, but if the terms and conditions of that acquisition are such that it's just too difficult for a likely target like Comcast, do the people that ascertain the fairness of that deal for shareholders, do they take that into consideration? Do they have to take that into consideration? You know, I, I think that, that they generally um, are purely financially driven that a shareholder owns a share of stock that is worth X and the board is obligated in a situation like this to take the um, best offer, the most valuable offer for the shares of stock. So, you know, where the terms and conditions come into the into the evaluation is if um, one bidder is an all cash bidder and another bidder is depending on 
raising $3 billion of debt, just using that as an example, um, the likelihood of closing the all-cash bidder is going to be greater than likely. You know, so one could theoretically argue that an all-cash bid of you know, um, you know, X is worth more than a cash and debt and, and a not yet committed debt bid of you know, X plus one. So the terms and conditions are, are relevant there. But if, for example, Vince tries to make um, a condition of the deal, him being executive chairman, you know, that's where it gets really complicated in that, you know, he obviously as having the supermajority vote um, can say no to a deal. But if a deal is demonstrably better by a bidder that, um, you know, may not want him to be the executive chairman, um, you get into some, you know, pretty touchy areas. But, you know, I think that you're going to end up seeing this be, you know, it's unlikely it's going to be an unfriendly deal. He's got so many relationships, so many media deals with so many companies. And I think there are so many different potential buyers in different scenarios that, you know, my guess is, is that even if it's just for the storyline that um, they're going to want Vince to somehow remain involved. And, and, and so, you know, I, I think that the likelihood of an unfriendly bidder who tries to pry it away from a deal that Vince has negotiated, you know, I think is relatively low. So interesting. So, then, so then with that said, you're talking about, potentially friendly bidders, maybe entities that WWE has existing relationships with already like a Comcast, like a Fox, or, and I'm even going to put this as a media entity, Disney, even though WWE doesn't really have any existing relationships with, wouldn't there be so much more incentive for one of them to really go all in on a bid for ownership here? Because then that's content, that's IP that you own for eternity or as long as you'd like to. And you also have international properties attached to that as well. All those three that I just mentioned, Comcast, Fox, Disney, they all have their own broadcast deals and they'd be able to work with it in any way that they'd want to. So wouldn't that say, from your perspective, that those are the entities that would go more all in on something like this? So, you know, it's a great question. And, and I would say that, you know, yes, with an asterisk. And, and the asterisk is, is that a property like wrestling or like MMA is not like the other kids. You've got complicated personalities. You have concentrated ownership. You have um, talent with big and complicated contracts. Um, you have controversial storylines. So while it may be more acceptable you know, to sponsors than it was 20 years ago, and it may be you know, certainly more acceptable you know, uh, you know, to, to big media companies to, to own it than it was you know, 10 or 20 years ago, 
I still think there there may be conversations, or most likely there are conversations going on in boardrooms of those media companies saying, you know, we'd love to own this, but, <laughs> and, you, you know, and 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 I I think that that um, you know it doesn't mean that there isn't a, a big money buyer out there, but you know. I've heard it compared to, for example, um, you know, Disney buying Marvel. It's, in my opinion, it's not like, you know, you you buy it once, but, um, you know, the the characters in the Marvel library, um, you know, don't walk off the set. That's that's the beauty of owning a property like Marvel, that, uh, you know, you've got, big complicated controversial personalities um in a property like wwe that you know just may or may not be the taste of of the complication of some of the big media companies producer steve just popped that up it's amazing 13 years ago disney purchases marvel for four billion dollars and, and 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 remember how how big a number that seemed at the time. Right, <laughs> it's insane. That's insane. Wow. I, I I mean, you know, what was it that that uh, Google bought YouTube for, and everyone said that's the craziest deal ever. I think it was you know two billion dollars or something, and everyone said that's insane. I mean, you know, that's the value of media, and and you know what you're seeing here is. You know, this is going to be an eight billion dollar deal. Who would have ever thought that WWE was an eight billion dollar property? I mean, you know, what was it? You know, five years ago, they had a couple hundred million dollars in rights fees that, you know, have now are now, you know, double what they were five years ago. I mean, you know, especially at a time with all of the new streaming services. And the, the the disruption in cable and the the you know reduction of the number of cable households, I think the perception was that the value of rights like this would go down. And I think that there are a lot of people who are surprised by the continued explosion of these rights values. What companies would you want to work for? Just Capital is a nonprofit that tracks which companies are a force for good. Companies like Bank of America, which just earned the prestigious Just Capital 2024 seal. Bank of America is ranked number one in the banking industry and number one for their ongoing commitment to workers, offering best-in-class benefits, including a minimum wage of $25 an hour by 2025. Visit JustCapital.com to learn how a just business is a better business. Furnished by Just Capital. Welcome to Talkville, the ultimate Smallville rewatch podcast. Title Transference aired October 27, 2004. Director James Marshall, writers Todd Slavkin, Darren Swimmer. I really like this episode, and I'm surprised that you don't like it as much as you thought you did. I actually respect your opinion more than I respect my own in general. (laughs) (laughs) When you say things are good and I check them out, they are. Jump in now or catch up on any of the past seasons of Talkville on YouTube or wherever you listen. Brian, you know, you look at WWE as a business model. Back when you and I were looking at WCW, it was basically television rights, which were negligible in Turner's case, obviously, because they own the company. Um, But you had your pay-per-view. You had 
licensing and you had merchandising. There were essentially four corners of that table. It's certainly more complex now. And in the case of WWE, much larger in scope. But streaming, WWE has done a great, they, they went into OTT early on. A lot of people thought, you know, there was... There were people in the industry that thought that that would be the the nail in the coffin of WWE because Vince was investing too much money in streaming and streaming was something that had yet to be really proven out. Now, of course, they've got a very powerful streaming platform. Does that streaming platform make, in other words, of, of the WWE revenue streams, does the streaming platform have a premium value to a potential suitor? because of the growth in that area? Well, yes. And, and I think that the, the you know, genius of the move to have his own platform was that it gave him leverage in all of his negotiations, that he had a credible place to basically say, if you don't hit my deal, if you don't um, hit my number, I've got somewhere that I'm going to put this asset. And so I think that, that owning your own distribution is invaluable. And, you know, so I think that, that you know, um, undoubtedly the, the value of his own streaming service is one of the reasons that they're as valuable as they are as an asset. What do you think is going to happen between linear television and streaming. We, we know the impact that it's had to date, but if you could look into your Brian Bidal, <laughs> it's crystal ball. What do you think? What does the landscape look like in five years? You know, I wish I had that crystal ball. I'd be buying and selling <clears throat> stocks right and left. Um, so, you know, I, I think that um, the you know, the, the number of cable subscribers will continue. I don't think it's, it's any great revelation that I think that, that cable will continue to decline. I think the cable operators and who were obviously in the broadband business um, are, you know, well positioned in that, uh, you know, broadband cable is now utility. I think, um, more and you know, <clears throat> excuse me. I, I think that that uh, clearly streaming is a dominant and growing part of the media appetite. And I would say in five years, um, I wouldn't be surprised to, to see um, every major property have streaming as its most valuable right source and traditional television as its secondary right source. And to build off that, I heard a very interesting argument from, I can't remember where it was, it was definitely another show, where they were saying that it would almost be beneficial for WWE to wait one more media rights cycle before selling because their theory was the next media rights cycle will be the last of the big cable television deals before we start to see that integration where streaming becomes the main source of income. Do you see any merit in an argument like that? You know, I, I, I think that if you're a buyer, um, 
you like to think that there's undeveloped real estate. Mm. You know, you like to think that you're the one who's going to do that next deal. So I actually think it's it's the opposite. I think that that whoever the buyer is, is thinking about the value that they're going to be able to create in the next right cycle. And and so I think that that buying it with um, a right cycle coming up as opposed to buying it where the rights are locked. You know, when you buy it where, where, the, where the rights are locked for, you know, six, eight, 10 years, I think that what you're doing is you're basically buying, in a sense, a bond because you know what the return is going to be. Um, when you buy it with a, with a right cycle, um, you know, sort of uh, uh, ahead of you, um, you know, in, in, your, in your vision, if you will, I think that you're able to um, fantasize about what a great negotiator you are and how much you're going to get for the rights and uh, be willing to pay more. Good friend of, well, a friend of ours. I don't know if you still talk to him or not. I haven't seen him in years. Peter Guber told me once that selling potential is a lot easier than selling performance. It's a great way of putting it. And it's, it's absolutely right. So I, so, you know, I, I think that, that, you know, now is probably the right time to sell. And, and, and Vince is, you know, in his late seventies, he's a young late seventies, but he's in his late seventies and, you know, uh, I, I just think that that um, you know if he's only going to live another thirty or forty years. <laughs> now, now's now's the time to to take the money and go have some fun. Brian, I, we so much appreciate having you on. And before we let you go, I would be remiss if I didn't ask you if you had any thoughts or observations on the Discovery Warner Brothers merger. You know, I, I think, you know, David Zaslov is a great operator. I think that he's he's a, a, a take-no-prisoners operator, and he's, you know, clearly come in and basically has said, you know, I want this business to, to throw off more cash. I mean, it's what he did at Discovery, and it's it's clearly his strategy at, at, at Warner. Um, I think in an industry that's used to, especially on the streaming side, sort of bottomless pit investing. Um, nobody likes to see it because it means eliminating jobs. It means, you know, not producing as much content. It means distributing content. And it, it, it means, I would say, um, milking the asset um, more than investing in it for, for a period of time. Um, but, you know, I, I think he proved at Discovery what a good operator he is. This is a much more complicated business. Um, so I wouldn't bet against him, uh, you know, but it's, it's, it's hard to say, you know, you, 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 you don't, um, you know, the, what, what's the saying? You don't save your way to prosperity. You know, I think that, that there needs to be investment in the business. The question is going to be, you know, where does he choose to invest? Well, Brian, absolutely fascinating 
talking to you. It's, it's, and by the way, I, I don't know if you know this or not, but years after you and I, you know, concluded our business with Turner Broadcasting, I met this young lady by the name of Elizabeth Rosenthal. And she was, uh, she was Hulk Hogan's PR person. And she launched her own business. And we, Elizabeth and I, we became very good friends. And we stayed in touch. And she was so excited when she was launching her own PR firm. And, and um, she mentioned that you're related. I just thought that yeah, was I so never, cool. I, I, I never knew. I knew, I knew she had the relationship with, with Hulk. Um, but I never knew that you met her. Yeah, she's, she's fantastic. I think she's built a really great business. Well, please, if you, if you see her, talk to her, or just shoot her a note, please give her my best. We, I see we her at least to, every Thanksgiving. We, we, <laughs> we worked together a lot, you know, because I was close to Hulk at the time, and then we became friends after and stayed in oh, touch for nice. a long, long time. I haven't talked to her in a couple of years, but she's, she's a really smart, really smart lady, and I'm happy to hear she's successful because she deserved it. Well, it's, it's, it's great to see you, and let's do it before another 23 years goes by. You got a deal. You got Thanks, an open. In, you got an open invite to come on Strictly Business whenever you <laughs> like, Brian. I promise you. There's so much we didn't even get into uh, that we definitely would love to chat you up about in the future. But thank you so much for hopping on with us. Seriously, uh, this has been fantastic. Well, thank, thanks for having me. It was lots of fun. Be well, my friend. Ladies and gentlemen, this has been Strictly Business. We'll be back with you next Thursday. Have a great week. Hey, everybody, this is Dan Bespris, host of Fantasy NBA Today, a daily fantasy basketball podcast. We cover every box score from every game every day, plus bonus shows on buy low opportunities, players to stash, schedule analysis, and really anything you could need to smash your league into deliciously tiny pieces. Catch the Fantasy NBA Today podcast, part of the Believe Network on YouTube or wherever you listen.